This week we're going to talk about one of my favorite discussions because it starts with a question that everybody knows the answers to and it's not the right answer. So the question is, why was the second Beit HaMikdash destroyed? And the answer that I'm pretty sure everybody knows uh, we'll come to later because that's a Gemara in Yoma and we'll get to it. I want to start though with a Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, Kufyu Teramibet, page 119b, where the Gemara has, well, let's start with, Abaye says, Amar Abaye, L'archarva Yerushalayim, Ele Bishvil, Shechilu Ba'ata Shabbat. Jerusalem was only destroyed, L'archarva Ela. Sounds like, in the literal reading would be, the only reason Jerusalem was destroyed. And that's already challenging, because we know a Gemara in Yoma, that says the, that the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the temple was destroyed for other reasons. So you could say maybe, no, this is about all of Jerusalem, fine, but Jerusalem includes the Beit HaMikdash. And he seems to be saying the only reason Jerusalem was destroyed was because they violated Shabbat, because they didn't keep Shabbat properly. And he quotes a Pasuk, that they turned their eyes away from keeping Shabbat, and I became... Um, profaned or sacrilege among them versus Yechezkel. So that's suggestion number one, or idea number one. And the way it reads, it sounds like that's why the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, because they didn't keep Shabbat. The next words of the Gemara are, Amar Rabbi Avahu, and I notice that Amar in the Gemara, when you put the word Amar before the Torah scholar's name, we usually assume that that means it's not a matter of debate. So I theoretically could have told me that all the ideas that we're about to read and share are debates. Abaye thinks it was the Chil Shabbos, and that's all it was. Amar Rabbi Avol, Rabbi Avol says, Lochamar Yushalayim right? The only reason that they Yushalayim got destroyed was Shabitlu Kriyat Shema Shacharit Ba'arvit, that they neglected or they stopped observing the recitation of Shema morning and evening. And he quotes a Pasuk Yishayahu, and they wake up in the morning and they only care about this and they don't look at what Hashem does. And the verse ends by saying, My nation is going to go into exile or has gone into exile because of their lack of dot, their lack of awareness of God. So the verses, I'm not going to keep going with the verses. <coughs> That's a separate discussion you can have. Let's assume that each of these people is going to find the verse, is going to talk about something Jews did wrong. And that they're and therefore connects whatever they did and connects whatever they did wrong to the exile or the destruction of Jerusalem. But I'm sort of more stuck on what does it mean that Abaye says the only reason, right? Lochorva Ella sounds like that. And Rabbi Avo says Lochorva Ella sounds like that's the only reason. So now I got two different options. I've got the lack of, of observance of Shabbat. And I could explain that, right? You'd say to me, why is the lack of observance of Shabbat significant enough to lead to the destruction of Jerusalem? I don't think that's even a stretch. We could say, well, the observance of Shabbat is about recognizing God created the world and, and the acceptance of the ideas of, you know, the beginning of the Torah. So that's why, uh, that's why it's worth losing Jerusalem over. Okay. And then I could also explain, if you refuse, because the verse talks about, I know I said I wasn't going to use the verse, but the verse talks about the lack of da'at. So I can say that saying Shema, morning and night, is our recitation, our announcement of our recognition of God's power in the world, and God's presence, and all those things. And if you lose sight of that, 
you don't have the right to Jerusalem, to right to Beit Hamikdash. Okay, I can explain this. So, but how do they relate to each other? Third one, Amar of Hamnuna lo charva Yushalayim ella bishvil shabit lubat yino kotshel Beit Rabban. He says the reason Jerusalem got destroyed, the only reason, and I, I stress it because I think it's worth stressing, because they're each of them presenting their views as if this is the sole reason for the destruction. And his sole reason is, is, the, is the, 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 the fact that they had children stop learning. They didn't care about their children learning, and then he quotes the verse. Ula says, Amar Ula, Ula says, no, the reason, he doesn't actually say no. Ula says, the reason Jews got destroyed was because they weren't embarrassed of each other. And he quotes Apostle Yirmiyo. Now, embarrassed of each other means that they would be willing to do, because the verse says, they do wrong things and they do not, uh, have embarrassment from each other. They're not ashamed in front of each other. He doesn't mean they weren't embarrassed with each other about things that you shouldn't generally be embarrassed about. He means that they lost the sense of right and wrong in society. So if I'm going to do something wrong, I often, if I do something wrong, I wouldn't do it in public because I'm embarrassed about it. So if I no longer have to be embarrassed about doing something wrong, that's the level that I think Ula is talking about. If you think of the phrase or the saying that um, hypocrisy is the hypocrisy is the something that vice pays to virtue, the tribute that by vice pays to virtue, tribute there doesn't mean praise, it means like the, the toll. So hypocrisy is I'd love to live a life as a thief and steal everybody else's money, just take whatever I want with whatever power I have. But society has made it cl so clear that it's wrong to be a thief, so I'm not going to do it, which is all good. But they lost sight of that is what Ula is suggesting. I'm going to go through all of these, and then we can go back. So as I'm going through them, it's worth beginning to think about the picture that we have. So I did it at the beginning. I did it a little bit. We already spoke about Shemir HaShav, as we know, is about recognizing God and God's creation of the world. Um, saying Kriyas from morning and night is about recognizing God and the role of God and giving the Torah and mitzvahs and our obligation to believe in God and God's oneness and all of that. Good. The third one, I guess I'll stop now. I'll do it now because we might as well. Instead of just piling it all up, the third one, that would be something about the future and something about Jewish education. And the something about Jewish education, I think, is also about a transmission of social values. If you think about, and I'm trying not to editorialize, but if you think about a world in which I, let's, let's take big extremes maybe. Imagine the difference in the communication to our children if the only Torah required of them were to be two afternoons a week, two hours after school. That's one set of values. And the other option is um, that, let's say I have my kid, my kid go to school from a young age where he goes to school, he's in school by, I don't know, eight in the morning and gets back at six in the evening. So you can talk about what age that's appropriate or this or seven in the evening. But as a values question, Right. That's, I think, what this Gemara is focused on, is a values question. One of the values we're transmitting to the next generation when we do and do not require or ask of them to go to school in various uh, circumstances. So Rav Hamnuna is saying that Yerushalayim got to the point where children were being told to learn Torah at all. 
And the idea being that it's not just that they're not learning Torah, it means that we as a society have stopped caring about that. So that's another question that I, I think it's relevant to our times as well when we think about what we do and don't require of our children. Amar Ula, right, that's Ula's idea. I'm sorry, that was Rav Hamduna. So Ula had said, because they weren't embarrassed of each other, so I already said, and I think it's true. I think Ula is focused on the idea that there was a breakdown of social norms such that it's one terrible thing for a society when everybody is whatever, right? There, think about the difference between, I remember it used to be my mother once told me about some community where people very often were watching TV on Shabbat in their homes, but nobody spoke about it. So which is better, to do it and not speak about it or to be speaking about it? So I think Ula is saying both are bad, but at the point where I'm just fine with it, that's a problem, right? What's the difference in a shul where, for whatever reasons, everybody's driving to shul and parking in the parking lot and parking on the street right nearby, and another shul where maybe the same percentage of people are driving to shul, but they're parking farther away. So that's what Ula's talking about. Amar Yitzchak, the next one of the Gemara is, he says also, Lo charba yushlaim ela, bishvil shehushvu katam v'gadol. So shvu katam v'gadol means they treated important people the same way as the exact same way as they treated unimportant people. Right? They were so the Gemara does believe in a hierarchical system in various ways. We have Kohanim and they serve in the Beit Hamikdash, and by by virtue of their service to the Beit Hamikdash in the Temple, they have a certain importance. We have Torah scholars by virtue of their knowledge of Torah, they have a certain importance. We have the King by virtue, right? We have more and less. We have greater and lesser. We have understandings of levels of society. In Western culture and democratic societies, we fight against some of that, although I think theoretically we fight against the parts of that that are purely hereditary. Right? Just because you happen to come from the Count's family or the Duke's family, there's pushback against that. But Yitzchuk is saying there's a problem the other way. If we're in a world where nothing matters, so I have somebody who, let's pick a nice, uh, not particularly Jewish example. And I have somebody who's a dedicated doctor, works morning and night and saves lives and cares about people. And then I have another person who, for whatever reason, hangs out, you know, and, and doesn't do anything. So who's better for society or who's more person? He's saying, well, we can't know their backstories. So the answer is, we never know their backstories. It's true. But there is an idea of a katon begadol. And Rabbi Yitzchuk is saying that Yerushalayim's loss of that, their insistence on treating everybody as if they were the same, that was a social breakdown that justified the loss of the Beit HaMikdash and the loss of Jerusalem being destroyed. Amar of Amram, Beit of Shimon Bar Abba, Amar of Shimon Bar Abba, Amar of Kanina, this is Rav Amram, the son of Shimon Bar Abba, said the name of his father, who said the name of Rabbi Kanina, Jerusalem was only destroyed Another, you know, another uh, countercultural idea in our times, and a hard idea. I think about this in the relatively minor context of talking in shul. There are some shuls that are, care more about talking, they're not what I'm talking about here. But I know that growing up, and by growing up, I mean to, the, to this day, so I hope I'm continuing to grow. How easy is it to ask somebody else not to talk during that? I find it almost impossible because people think, who are you to this? And you're not perfect, which is all true. But who are you to tell me? But remember that the Torah has an obligation for Jews to talk to each other when they notice a fellow Jew is doing something wrong, as we should talk to them if we know that they're doing something wrong, theoretically. 
In our times, it's very, very, very difficult. So I'm not giving you practical advice on that topic. I'm just pointing out that Rav Hanina, Rav Amram's, uh, Rav Amram, the son of Rishim Rav, I heard from his father, Rav Hanina said, that's what got Jewish women in trouble. That it got to a point where nobody would talk to anybody else what they were doing wrong. Now, that doesn't completely diverge what we saw earlier, where we said they weren't embarrassed anymore. Of course, they're not embarrassed anymore if nobody said they're doing anything wrong. And it's part of, to me, it seems to be part of a society retaining its grip on an awareness of right and wrong. And part of that is if somebody's doing something wrong, you know, when they, when I think when Hillary Clinton talked about it takes a village to raise a child, part of what she meant was, was that if I'm an adult on the street, we're supposed to have a good enough relationship among all the families on the street that if I see, you know, the neighbor three doors down doing something wrong, I'll talk to the kid about it. And that's very difficult too, because raising kids is so challenging and this and this and this, but it's supposed to be about the adults as well. And it's not so simple, but he's pointing to that as a key factor, if not the key factor in the destruction of Jerusalem. When you have a society that people no longer are able to point out to each other when they do something wrong, and that can even be because one option is because people aren't willing to do it anymore. And I think that I know many societies in our day where that's true, where people just say, I don't feel comfortable, I don't think it's right, I don't think it's appropriate, whatever they'll say. Then there's another possibility that even if they try, the other people will completely reject it. They'll just say, I'm not doing anything wrong at all. That's also a problem. So all of that is what's going on here, that they didn't, uh, they refused to. And the, the image that he gives based on a verse in Eicha is that they put their heads down to the ground. The Jews of that generation, they would look at the ground and not tell each other. I mean, you see somebody doing something wrong and you look at the ground. There's that old story from the 1960s, which I think people today debated whether it's true completely or not. But about all these people who saw this woman being attacked and killed for like 20 minutes, Kitty Genovese, and she was killed. Nobody said anything. So Be'ezrat Hashem, we can hope that we're not talking about things that reach to that level. But the idea that I see somebody doing something wrong and I just put my head down, and I don't want to get political, but I feel like if you just know that I'm thinking politically right now, you can think of examples where groups of people see some member of their group, often the leader of their group, do something wrong and they refuse to speak up about it. Right? So that's a challenge. That's one of the things that we're saying about Yushalayim was true. Then Rabbi Yehuda says, Jerusalem got destroyed because they they denigrated, they mocked, they mistreated Torah scholars. So that's a problem in terms of, I think, also a society knowing the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. One of the things about Torah scholars is that by virtue of their study of Torah, they're aware of things that we're not aware of. Right? That's why you go to a rabbi. You, know, you go to a rabbi and you say, Rabbi, what do you think about this? And I, I've said this often, I don't think it can be said enough. One of the things I valued so much about my Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Lichtenstein, uh, was, so I would go to, he was famous for not being willing to paskin for you. Now, it turns out I found out that there were people calling for psak for rulings. He would actually give it to them. That when we went to him for advice, maybe it wasn't on a specific issue, but he wouldn't paskin for you, but he would talk about the issue. And I remember being struck by how often when he laid out an issue, he would lay it out in a way where, Factors I had not thought of and, 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 and should bring in values that I should bring into play in discussing the question he brought up for me that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. So if you're if we, God forbid, have a society where we mistreat them, we don't benefit from them, we don't think about them, and 
we we would mistreat them. The likelihood is we mistreat them because they suggest a value we're supposed to think of that we don't want to hear about. Right. So that's also a thing to think about. You know, what could a Torah scholar say to you that you'd say, oh, what an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about and reject it completely when there's a good possibility the Torah scholars saying something that's actually what the Torah thinks about the issue. Now, sometimes Torah scholars say things and there's a machloket about it. They say it as if there's no debate about it and as if it's obviously true. So that's a different discussion. But here we're talking about the Torah scholars were being denigrated and mistreated. And the presumption is that they were saying things that were authentic and correct. And the verse that's quoted, I think, is, is worth remembering and thinking about all the verses are, but this verse in particular to me resonates because it says in Divrei Yamim, when it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, it says, They would mistreat, they would insult and mistreat the Malachi Elohim. We often translate Malach as meaning an angel, but it really means a messenger. Some of the messengers are angels, but sometimes the messengers of God are human, right? So there's a verse that talks about when Yiftach, uh, says that by Yishlach Hashem Malach, Hashem sent a, a, a messenger. You might think it means an angel, but it really means Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the commentators there. So here too, they would mistreat the messengers of God, and Rabbi Yudah is saying, those messengers of Yudah are the Torah scholars. Because the next part of the verse is, will seem varav, and they uh, denigrate God's word, and then they mistreat the his prophets. So the Malachim are not the prophets. They are the Torah scholars. And then the verse goes on on the Marpeh, right? Until the point where you couldn't, uh, where you couldn't fix it. And that's why this Jerusalem got destroyed. But they can write their comments. What does that mean? Le'in Marpeh, there's no fixing it. Amar, Vida Marav, Vida says, Nimarav, Kol HaMivazet HaMidei Chachamim, Ain Lo Rifu'ala Makato. If somebody denigrates and mistreats a Torah scholar, it's very, very, he says there's no healing the wound that's been created, I think he really means it's very, very, very hard to do so because you'd have to go back and find all the people that were there when the person denigrated them and apologized to them and find a way to take it out. It's like, the image that comes to my mind is when a judge tells the jury to disregard what was just said. So do you think the jury really managed to completely disregard it if it's a bombshell thing and that for some legal reason they're not supposed to pay attention to? Here too, if God forbid somebody mistreats a Torah scholar, and then they come back and they say, I was wrong to do that. Obviously, we should respect the Torah scholar. They've tried to make up for it, but it's not always such an easy sell. That is the view of Rabbi Yudah. It says, Rava, Lacharba Yerushalayim, Ela Rava says, you know, Jerusalem actually only got destroyed because they stopped having trustworthy people in the city of Jerusalem. People, you couldn't trust people anymore for whatever reasons, right? Whatever verse shows that. But the one that says, what do you mean? We have a counter idea. Rav Katina once said that even at the last moment of Jerusalem, before Jerusalem's destruction, you could trust the people there. And he quotes a passage in Shayahu that says that, you know, if one person grabs another person and says, you have a, a garment, you be our leader. And the person will say, I don't, I'm not your leader. I can't be the, your leader. Right? He says, I mean, because, so the Gemara's answer is, and I think this is a, it's older, remarkable. The Gemara's answer is, that's about Divrei Torah. That even at the last moments of Jerusalem, if somebody said to somebody else, oh, you're a Torah scholar, you should lead us, they would be honest about it and say, I'm not a Torah scholar. But when it came to business and money, there you couldn't, there you couldn't trust anybody. And that is what Rava is saying was the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem. So first question is, 
How can it be that all of them say lo charva ella? It only got destroyed for this. And then each one be treated by our Gemara as not a debate. Remember, it says Amar rather than, it says Amar rather than Rabbi Yudah Amar. Usually when we have a debate, we say Rabbi Yudah Amar, Rabbi Yudah Amar, Rabbi Amar, right? We usually say it that way. So if you're not going to say it that way, then you're implying there's not really a debate here. But it sounds like a debate, because if I say to you, the only reason Yerushalayim got destroyed was this and this and this. I can't tell you that I'm sure of an answer here. I haven't seen an answer. I've looked. I haven't seen any particular answer to that question. My my suggestion is that the answer is that they're each saying in a society that had many, many flaws, many, many problems to it, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? And that's why it's not a debate because it's not that one says they did this in Jerusalem and the other is saying they didn't do that in Jerusalem, they did this in Jerusalem. That's not what's going on. What's going on is that one says, of all the 17 things they were doing wrong, this is the one that tipped them over to destruction. And then we'll say, no, I think this is the one. That's what I think is going on. That would be my suggestion. Or, or they're just all saying different things. But if you look at what they're saying, they're also not all that far apart from each other. Meaning, in brief, Abaye is, Chil Shabbos, is about not saying Kriyachma. Right? Those two are about not recognizing God correctly enough, well enough, and bringing those things in. Rav Nuna says it's about, it's about the, the education of children, right? So I'm going to skip Ula in a second. Rav Nuna says the education of children. The uh, Rav Amram said in the name of Rav Hanina, Rav Amram, the son of Rishim Baraba, heard from his father, Rav Hanina, that it's because they didn't, re- they didn't remonstrate with each other, they didn't tell each other when... They were doing something wrong. Um, maybe I should skip that one. Let me come back to that one in a second. And Rehuda says, because they mistreated Torah scholars, right? And, Rav, and Rava says it, it's because they, well, skip to Rava. So those two seem to me about Torah study. Either they weren't training the children or they weren't learning correctly from their Torah scholars, their leaders. Then the ones that I left out were, Ula had said it was because they weren't embarrassed in front of each other. They did whatever they want. They weren't embarrassed. Right? Now, Rabbi Yitzchak says they lost the sense of a social hierarchy of knowing what's better and what's worse, which means they can't have the value of knowing, oh, this is the right way to live in our society. This is what we respect in our society. I remember my father, Allah Shalom, was very much enjoying, I think it was like in a Reader's Digest, a story about some guy who was at a Danish university and he sees the, uh, like there's this mob holding a guy on their shoulders and screaming in, in you know, in hallelujahs about him and how great he was and his praises. And it's this, unimposing, unimpressive person, as far as you can tell. So the American says to somebody, who is that? And he says, that's the guy who got the best grades in the university this past year. And the American says, and you're celebrating that so loudly, so, you know, so so enthusiastic, because he's used to doing it uh, for sporting events. So the guy turns to him and says, what do you go to university for in America? Right, so that's the issue that's going on here. And Hushfu Katamagadol if you're not willing to say this person is more important than that person, you're not willing to talk about what your values are in your society and articulate those values so the people are supposed to stick to them and keep to them. And that's the Rav Amram also, the son of Rav Shimon Arba, the idea they wouldn't remonstrate with each other. That's the same idea. And then I think it also fits with Rava's idea about they lost having, there were no trustworthy people on monetary issues anymore. So you end up having a lot of sort of agreement about basic lines of what's going on here. There's either the possibility they lost sight of God or the possibility they lost sight of Torah. And that can be in terms of the children or in terms of their treatment of Torah scholars. 
or they lost sight of social values. And the social values could be things like they didn't weren't willing to tell each other what was right and wrong. They weren't embarrassed about doing something they should have known was wrong, right? There's a big difference between when somebody lies in their private life or they lie in public blatantly in a way that everybody knows about, nobody cares, nobody says anything, forget says anything. They praise that person and they make that person a leader. What does that mean? Right? What does that mean about the social values? And that's the issue of trustworthiness and and of being willing to uh, and, and of being willing to respect certain people and other other people. So my suggestion is that we read the Gemara in Shabbat. We're being taught a lot about the destruction of Yerushalayim, and the reason it's not a debate is because they're not debating. They're saying if you looked at Jerusalem, this is what you would have found. You would have found the city that lost its connection to God, lost its connection to Torah and lost its sense of values as a society and of the importance of the necessity of communicating values to each other as a society. That's the Gemara in Shabbat. And I think it's a remarkable Gemara. I think it's a, a very illuminating Gemara. And to me, as I'm talking to you now, it reminds me of the Rambam in the fifth chapter of, of the laws of Tanit, the laws of fast days, where the Rambam says that when we fast on these historical fast days, we're fasting over the sins of our forefathers that we continue. He says something like, we fast on the, for the sins, we've seen this together, we fast for the sins that we do that they did. So you look at the list in Masechet Shabbat of these various Amoraim and their various candidates for the straw that broke the camel's back, and it's really, unfortunately, things that you can easily point to in our society as well. So step one in our discussion today has been, and remember, it's never about, in my mind, about dumping on the people of the past, or, nor even about dumping on people in the present. Right? When I say, and we still do this, I'm not saying it to say, oh, look how bad we are. I'm saying it to, let me, let's me let point to where we can change in the most productive ways. And if I know that these are the things that the Gemara understood to be crucial to the destruction of Jerusalem, then those are the things I should work on first because they'll be the best way to avoid future destruction to get back to a to a consolation, to get back to, to success. So that's why I bring that up. Now, of course, the elephant in the room is that many more people know the Gemara Yoma, which says the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because they did terrible sins. They did, they worshipped other gods. They committed sexual sins of a serious level and they murdered each other. Right? And you have verses for all of that. Then the second Beit HaMikdash, right? The second Beit HaMikdash, the Gemara says, at the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, they were studying Torah. The Gemara and Shabbos seems to contradict that, but whatever. When they did mitzvahs, they were good, did kindness to each other, and they got destroyed because of Sinat Kinam, because they allowed faceless hatred. Now, I will say that I think that a Gemara like this becomes famous because it's what I call an apple pie Gemara, right? Meaning just like baseball, hot dogs, baseball, right? Hot dogs, baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet in the old commercial, right? So everybody's behind apple pie. Nobody's against apple pie, right? So here too, it's one of these Gemaras where I can say, Ah, uh, we have to do better, better than Sinarchina. One of the great things about it also is that based on the human condition, we'll never completely wipe out Sinarchina. So I can say that. And to me, the danger in it is that it excuses us from other important areas to, to work on. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't work on baseless hatred. We should absolutely should work on baseless hatred. And to the extent that that contributed to the, to the structure of the second Beit second temple, we need to fix that up. But think about a Gemara Shabbos in two. And also, and then think about these two more Gemaras. Gemara Bav Mitzia on 30b says, Rav Yochanan says, Lo Harvey Yushlaim El, we're back to that world. The only reason Yushlaim was destroyed, and you can wonder why it's not in Shabbat as well, different discussion, El Al Shidanu Torah. 
He has another danger. And here it's not a neglect of Torah. Here he says it's they insisted on the letter of the law. Right? So meaning the more says, what? They should judge some other law? He says, no, they didn't do anything. They were never willing to forego their absolute legal rights. And then later in Bavim on 85a, Yudas says the name of the Rav. Why does it say, uh, and he quotes the Pusk in Yimio, where Yimio says, who is wise enough to understand, right? Uh, and that Hashem has said, why did the land get destroyed? And on Pei Hei, I'm in bet, 85b, so nobody could figure it out. The Chachamim couldn't figure it out, which is striking because we've just seen a whole bunch of ideas about it. So if you just think the name of Rab, nobody's got the full answer, right? And, and the prophets didn't have the full answer until Hashem came along in that same next verse in Yerio and says, They abandoned my Torah. But says Rav right there in the name of Rab, right there, I don't think it means they abandoned Torah in observance necessarily. It means they didn't make the birchutat Torah. They didn't make the blessings of the Torah, which is assumed to mean that they didn't have the proper reverence for Torah, which is another issue to think about and bring up, you know, what is the level of reverence that people have for Torah in our times? Tosus above Metziah on 30b says what I've been trying to say before. He says, when it says that it only got destroyed for this reason, and there it, just one answer was given in Bav Metziah, but Rav Yochanan saying that it was because they stuck with the letter of Torah law, but Tulsa says, he says, maybe it's both. Now, the weakness of that answer is that Rav Yochan and others said, this is the only reason. So it's hard to say why you would say, no, maybe they both caused it. I believe the answer is that we're saying it's all out there. And then the question is, which one of them like tipped us over? But what we end up having is, a discussion about when society gets destroyed, I believe what's being suggested here is societies don't get destroyed because of one particular thing. You know, there are 8 million stories in the naked city. So when it comes to destruction, there's destructions in other big events, other big times of trouble come for lots and lots of reasons. So each one of our Amorayim has pointed out what I think the other Amorayim might agree are valid elements in those societies and their, it's not quite a debate, but their discussion is which of those was the one that, 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 that brought the actual destruction and therefore maybe is the one to address first. But they all revolve around such similar things that what we really can say is that these Gemaras give us a really, really nice roadmap to building a society that will deserve not to have destruction, that will deserve to have consolation. If we build a society where we have proper awareness of right and wrong and we communicate that, we communicate that by remonstrating with each other. We communicate that by cultivating a society where people should be ashamed when they do something wrong in public. We cultivate that by respecting the people who do better and not respecting as much the people who do worse. And we include Torah and the proper reverence for Torah and for Torah scholars. And we remember God and God's role in the world. We do all of those things that we can hope will be a society where all of these low Kharba Elos will not be relevant to us anymore and we will not have to worry about them and we will find ourselves back in the time of the Gulash Lema of the full redemption. Thanks for joining us for week 12. We're closing in on our last thoughts about redemption and consolation and we'll see you next week. Be well.